All right. Well, like I said, I'm going to continue uh, the series that we kicked off last week called Better Together, and we've been talking about uh, pursuing biblical community. In other words, on this journey with Jesus, it's not an individual sport. It's a team thing. It's a community thing. And so how do we move closer to a picture of what Jesus would have us become as a body? Uh, there's lots of things that apply to us individually, but, but what does it actually look like for a group of people to become a community that is biblical? And what we mean by biblical is not that we have a list of, of Bible rules and thou shalt and thou shalt nots that we're following. No, we're saying if we go back, as we looked last week at Acts chapter 2, and when the church started... What are some of those things look like? We look back to our foundation. Where did we come from? What was important? And how can we continue to carry those values and those things today so that we look like the church, so that we look like the bride of Jesus? Because that's what he calls the church. It's his bride. It's the one whom he loves. Yes, he loves us individually. You are the apple of his eye, but he loves the church. And that extends far beyond the however many of us are gathered here today in person and online. But it's made up of all disciples of Jesus, all who have surrendered their life and called him Lord all over the face of the earth. And in times past and in times present and in times future, the community of disciples, that's the church. That's the bride of Christ. That's the one whom he loves. And today, we're going to sort of jump off from that starting place, that foundation where we started, and we're going to talk about unity. Because in order for us to be a community, as we explored last week, a, a community can be as simple as uh, a group with shared values. Well, that, that would apply to us, but it's more than that. We explored last week looking into some of the original language that we are the ecclesia, we are the called out ones. We're called out for a purpose. We have a purpose, we have a mission that's far beyond let's just get together so we're not lonely. We hope to have that happen in community, uh, uh, that we can lean on each other in times of difficulty, but it goes far beyond that. We're called out for a purpose. Well, if we're called out for a purpose, we need to understand what that is, and we need to become unified so that we can all be pursuing the same thing together. And that's what we're going to explore today, is what does it mean for the church of Jesus to be unified? What does it mean for us as individuals in the context of community to operate in unity? If you have a Bible or a Bible app, why don't you go ahead and pull up Philippians chapter 2. Um, we're just going to read a couple verses now, um, but we're going to come back to this a few different times. Um, Philippians chapter 2, and I'm just going to read the first couple verses for now. I'm, out, I'm in the New Living Translation. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? In other words, is your life any different? Is it any better? Is there any comfort from his love? Is there any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? 
Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. I want to read that last phrase again. Loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose. Now, it would be easy to jump to the conclusion, as some have done, in a legalistic fashion, that this means we've got to find all the rules in the book and make sure we're all following them, and then we'll be unified because we're all doing the same stuff. And we all have to have precisely the same beliefs, the same, you know. So, in other words, what I would say is that's a description of conformity, Conformity is different than unity. Unity actually leaves room for diversity, but we're unified around that ending phrase, one mind, which is the mind of Christ, as we'll explore, and one purpose. We have a purpose in being part of the kingdom, and that's to continue the ministry of Jesus. That's what we're called to, as we talked a little bit about last time. When Jesus was getting ready to leave this earth and he looks at his disciples and his followers and he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. It's right there. He gives us our marching orders, our instructions. And so our mission is to do as he's told us, to continue the ministry of Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. We cannot do it on our own. And that's what we can unify around. We don't unify around, uh, well, let me back up and say this. There was a phrase uh, that came along uh, in the early days of the vineyard that uh, it's called the main and the plain. So if we look at all the different things that we find in Scripture, we know there are some things that are, that are clear, that are spelled out, that there's general agreement on, and then there are secondary things, that there's a wide diversity of thoughts and opinions on but and they're also secondary issues you know so in other words i like to say what hill are you willing to die on so if you were to come to me you know and and try to tell me that you know well yeah i'm i'm good with all of this but i don't i don't know if jesus really was the son of god well that's not really a negotiable right like that's that's pretty main and plain if you're going to sign up for this journey if you're going to submit to the Lord, if you're going to believe his word, that one's pretty cut and clear. Jesus is the son of God. He came to earth as a man. He paid the price. I mean, all these things that we'll be celebrating here in just a few short weeks with the resurrection, with death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So that would be something. So that, that's pretty main in that it's, it's central to our faith. It's essential. And it's pretty plain. There's general agreement through what we call uh, orthodoxy, orthodox Christians. In other words, there's been general agreement amongst many believers for a long period of time. This is not something we're still trying to figure out. And then there are secondary issues where uh, we can much more easily be divided because maybe the text isn't as clear. Maybe it's a, it's a gray area. And so there's more room for a variety of opinions. Well, what we would say is, uh, unity is not found in getting everybody to agree with you on those secondary things. It's keep the main things, the main things, the plain things, the plain things, and then have room and diversity for a variety of opinions 
in the secondary things. But keep the main thing the main thing. Because truth be told, and I'm not going to make a list today, but if we look at any number of those secondary issues or those pet things that some of us might even be passionate about, those things, are they don't directly affect what we're trying to do. They don't affect our, our, our goal and our purpose. They might bring understanding. That it's not, I'm not saying that they don't have benefit because everything we find in Scripture has, has benefit, is profitable, as the Word would tell us. But it's not going to change the reality of what we're called to do. We are called primarily to be kingdom citizens. So, and I'm, I'm trying not to chase the rabbit and get on a, a soapbox and start talking to you about a bunch of different political things because that's not my purpose here today. But we could pick some of those things, right? And, and we could talk about things that, that people are, are divided over. And I would just leave it at this for today, and maybe we'll explore some of those things some other time. We are called first, regardless of what part of the political spectrum you fall on, that should always be secondary to who you are as a kingdom citizen. I heard it said this way, um, if you think about the, uh, in grammar, so if you were to say, um, I am, well, we'll just use, I can't think of a better example in the moment, I wrote down uh, so if you want to say, you know, I'm, I'm a Democratic or Republican Christian. What you're doing is you're making Christian the noun, and what an adjective does is it modifies the noun. And so we actually need to flip that around. I'm not decrying either side or any other issue or adjective you might want to append to yourself. But what I'm saying is, that your Christianity, your kingdom citizenship should be in the adjective spot. It should be the thing that modifies and affects everything else that you are. I'm not saying that we all have to sign up for the same things, that we can't allow our own personality and our own passions and beliefs uh, be differentiated. We can, but our kingdom citizenship should, should modify what those things look like and how those things play out. Because there are, there's, there's, I can't think of the way I want to say that. But that's the key, is that we let our identity in Christ, our citizenship in the kingdom, be the thing that modifies who we are and who we become. All right, let's jump ahead. Uh, before we read more scripture, I want to kind of give you an overview, and then we're going to go through each of these three things uh, one by one for just a minute. But as I was thinking about this topic and thinking through what would I want to share with us as we're looking towards unity and, and defining what that means, and I came up with three things that I think the Lord highlighted uh, from the text, but three things, and this is not an exhaustive list, but three things that I think unity does. If we could think of, of unity as a person, and, and what we're going to do is we're going to paint this picture and then invite you to step into it. Unity sees, and I'll explain what these mean in a moment. Unity sees, unity hears, and unity prefers. And we're going to take a few minutes and look at what we mean by each of those three things, and then we're going to be invited to step into those things. 
So the first one that I mentioned, unity sees. Now what we're talking about here, uh, you often hear this uh, phrase, you know, when people are uh, maybe in a, in a confrontation, you know, if one of my kids does something and they're really upset, you know, and they're trying to communicate, like, what's going on, but they're, they're so upset that they're struggling to even, and it might be because of something I did that they thought was unfair. So one of the things that we can do in that moment is we can get down on their level and say, I see you. I hear you. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm here for you. One of the things that unity does is that it sees people. It sees them where they're at, and it sees them with the eyes of the Father. And the eyes of the Father sees every human created, again, times past, times present, and in the future, as an image bearer of Christ. Now, that does not mean that everybody has stepped into that identity and accepted it and is living it out. Even those of us who are trying to are probably not living it out as fully as we would like to. But, but the Father understands that even those who would deny him, even those who don't live like he's real or matters, they were created by him in his image and likeness. That, that applies to all of humanity from, from Mother Teresa down to the nastiest dictator who murderous person you could think of. Like there, there's no spot on that spectrum where that person in their original created value was created in the image and likeness of Jesus. And we need to begin to train ourselves and practice to see all people that way. Now... Does this mean that we become a doormat, that we just roll over and play dead and never have any opinions and let people treat us? How? No, it doesn't. I don't think that's the example we see in Jesus. Jesus was described as someone who was meek. Meek doesn't mean that I'm just a doormat and I let people do whatever I want, but I like to think of it as power under control. So in other words, he had unlimited power and authority and, and, you know, he would never do this because he doesn't operate in this kind of attitude. But it's like if he operated the way some of us do, somebody offends him, then, well, I could just have you smote, you know. <laughs> I could call down light, you know, like you, you can just be done because you bothered me, you annoyed me. Well... That sounds silly, right, because that's such an extreme example. But what I want to point out to you is it's not that he didn't have that kind of power available to him. It's that it was under control. It was under control, and he wasn't looking at people and, and uh, determining their value based on what was the surface level. He saw them through the eyes of the Father. He saw them as someone created in the image and likeness of Jesus. And we need to begin asking the Father and, and allowing the Holy Spirit to train us in those most difficult moments with the most unlovely people who annoy us the most. Father, show me how you see them. Show me where you're at work in their life. Yeah, I know they, you know, 
they've offended me, they've hurt me, they've wronged me, they've whatever. And maybe there's something to deal with there, but let me start by recognizing that person, just the same as I, is created in your image and likeness, and they have much worth and value. That's something that unity does. That's something that it's like, again, there's all these implications. Okay, how do we walk that out in life? Okay, we can work through all of that. But the point of unity is we need to see all people that way. We need to be looking for the gold. We need to be looking for the image of Christ in people. And that will dramatically change how we treat people. It doesn't mean that we don't ever have hard conversations or share that I've been hurt or offended. But we need to start from the place of unity. Let's start from where we agree. Okay, even though you hurt me, I, I still see you as a person that's made in the image of Christ. All right, let's go on to the next one. Unity hears. Now, there's two different applications here. We can sort of piggyback off that first one, and, and it's the same way that we need to actually listen to people. We need to, uh, what, what is the phrase that I used to use all the time? Uh, we need to seek first to understand and then to be understood. Like this is just, I'm just kind of throwing this in as free, like human relationship stuff that will be helpful if you learn this stuff and practice this stuff. If we understand that that person is created in the image and likeness of God, then it's worth our time to try to listen to what they're actually saying, which doesn't always match up with the words coming out of their mouth. Sometimes the words coming out of their mouth are, are hateful and rude. But what I'm saying is we're listening with spiritual ears, okay, and, and with the Holy Spirit's help. Okay, Holy Spirit, I know I could be really angry right now, and the things they're saying, man, that, that really hurts. That ticks me off. But what are they actually trying to say at a heart level? What's, what's going on that I don't see on the surface level? And let me listen to their heart. Because flip the script. When you are angry, hurt, upset, disappointed, anxious, do you find that you often communicate in a calm, respectful, gentle. I mean, maybe you don't fly off the handle, but I don't, but when we're operating in those emotions, we often don't communicate in a way that really gets to the heart. We communicate out of that place of that negative emotion that we're experiencing. I'm hurt and you need to do something about it because you hurt me. You need to fix it. You know, I'm at all these different emotions. We need to try to get to the root we need to listen with spiritual ears. What is this person actually... To, and, and that takes setting our ego aside, right? That takes admitting, okay, maybe the thing they just said to me is not accurate and I want to set them straight. But what's also true is maybe I didn't do everything perfectly. And maybe if I can set my hurt aside for just a moment and listen with my spiritual ears, I can hear... The nastiness that's coming out of their mouth, for them, is also coming from a place of hurt. Because you know what I, I, I've learned? Hurt people hurt people. People who have been hurt will lash out in that hurt. And you can apply that to a lot of different 
emotional state. But if we can begin to listen with our spiritual ears and look with the eyes of the Father, what we'll find out is it's actually a little easier to get over what's irritating me if I allow the compassion of the Holy Spirit to understand that in some ways that person that I'm ticked off at might actually be in the exact same boat. They might also be feeling that hurt, that disappointment, that anxiousness. And the advantage that we have, too, is that as we learn these things, we also have to realize they may not understand that there's a better way. They may not understand some of the things that we're learning about healthy communication, about because life has trained us not to do those things well. The way for many of us that we were raised, we've seen examples, we've been in environments that has not taught us how to do those things well. And like so many other things, we have an enemy who doesn't like, if he can't get you to just outright sign up for his kingdom, one of the other ways that he can do is to try to confuse communication. I'll just say this and then I'll move on. Because this is just a personal conviction of mine. I have found for myself, anytime I'm in a situation and I stop and realize I've turned this into me versus them or us versus them, I'm never going to get to a kingdom-oriented resolution. Whenever I've made it me versus them. The Bible tells us our enemies are not flesh and blood. So what I have to do is say, okay, this person participated in the thing that I'm hurt about or ticked about, but what I try to do, and I'm, I'm saying it this way because it's really hard. I, I don't want to sugarcoat this and say I've got this figured out or it's really easy to do. It's really hard. It takes all the help of the Holy Spirit to do it. But if we can change our frame of mind to rather than it being me versus you, how about us versus the problem? How about seeking to find what is the root, what is going on? And it, But again, this takes setting our ego, sometimes our opinions, our own hurts and hang-ups. It takes sometimes setting those aside. And, and just, I know I keep saying that, and you're like, well, yeah, I can set it aside for a little bit, but i got to deal with it at some point. More times than not, what we need to do is we need to go in private and let the Lord deal with, with those things. We need to just ask the Holy Spirit, would you come and realign me in this area? Would you change me to see this how you see it? Because what I've found is as, as self-righteous as we can feel sometimes, there's usually, if we get down to the root of it with the Father, there's usually some place that, that we've veered a little off the path. And I want to invite the Holy Spirit, come and correct that in me. Come make me look more like you. Help me get the, the two before out of my eye and not worry about going and getting the specs out of everybody else's eye. Okay, I know I keep flipping back to, to visual things and we're supposed to be talking about hearing. But those two work together in conjunction. So unity sees people, unity hears people with their spiritual ears. And then the second application of hearing uh, might be a little bit obvious, but unity also hears the Holy Spirit. 
Again, like this is a thing that we can unify around. He's not maybe saying the same thing to all of us all the time. We might hear in different ways. We might take it different ways. But we can unify around the fact that the one who really has the best view of the situation, whatever it is, is our Heavenly Father through His Holy Spirit. And so we need to be listening to Him. We need to be, and, and what that has to do with is not just listening, but surrendering. Saying, Holy Spirit, I'm not going to trust the way I feel in this moment. I'm going to trust what are you saying. And like I said, it's hard. It's hard. I get it. I get it. We need to be listening to the Holy Spirit. And, and sometimes this is happening, happening simultaneously with the interaction that's going on. We're listening with one ear to the person we're talking to. And we do need to actively listen. It can be easy to tune out. We need to actively listen. And, and what I mean by listening to the Holy Spirit is not that I disconnect from what's in front of me. And say, Hold on. I got I to gotta, I gotta get my spiritual antenna up you know, and, and try to download a message from heaven. But you're listening for when he might break in and say, hey, what about this? Did you notice this in this person? Because <clears throat> one of the other things that I've experienced and learned and so easily forget when the next time comes around is that some, I, I, let me say it this way. I believe if we can tune into the Holy Spirit, every difficult interpersonal situation that you might find yourself in this week, the Holy Spirit has a key. And what I mean by that is there's a way that he looks at it, and if you can tune into him, if you can listen and set your own opinions and feelings aside long enough to hear it and get it, he will give you something, some kind of instruction, some kind of key that can help shift that situation, that can help turn it. Sometimes we're arguing about something, and our purpose is, you know, well, my point is right and your point is wrong. And what we may not realize is the thing we're arguing about has nothing to do with what's actually going on. That person might just feel like, you, you don't ever hear me. And so sometimes it's just stop and say, you know what, let's set all that aside I, I hear what you're saying. I hear you. And I value you. There can be different things. Sometimes it's just say that simple th thing we tell of our kids. Say, I'm sorry. You know, maybe you have more to unpack, but start with that. I now realize, because the Holy Spirit just like revealed it to me, I, I did do something wrong. And so for what I've done that made you feel this way or whatever, I'm sorry. Let's, let's have the humility to do that because that's one of the things that unity requires. If we're going to be unified together, if we're going to pursue a common goal, if we're going to learn how to live as kingdom citizens led by the Holy Spirit, we're going to have to regularly humble ourselves and be willing to do these hard, hard things. But the reward is, as we'll read about here in a little bit, is we move closer to that picture of biblical community. Now, it does not mean that as we move closer to biblical community, again, we all suddenly have complete agreement about all secondary issues and nobody has a different idea about anything. No, it doesn't mean any of that. But it means that we begin to understand what's important and what's secondary. We begin to have a vision for 
how we can move towards biblical community, realizing that it has the fruits of the Spirit. We begin to be more at peace with each other. We be, excuse me, we begin to understand and practice how we can still be healthy even when we do disagree. How we can have the vulnerability with each other to share when we are hurt so that it doesn't fester but actually gets dealt with. Open and healthy communication. This is what this will move us towards. That's the picture of a biblical community as a group of people that, yes, we're unified around a mission, we have a single purpose, and that part of being one mind is that, above all other things, we want to protect the unity of the Spirit amongst us. That is primary over making our points and having our arguments. Let's have healthy communication, but let's never let a point of disagreement or opinion supersede protecting the unity of the body. Because here's a key, God blesses unity. When we do the hard work to become unified, inviting him into that, God will bless it. There will be a higher level of peace amongst us and all the other fruits of the Spirit. All right, let's jump on this last one, unity. And I've, I, these do all kind of bleed together in a sense. But unity prefers. Now, what I mean by unity prefers is just a further sort of extrapolation of that idea that I put others before myself. And that that's really countercultural to our uh, take care of number one Western American ways. You know, I got to look out for number one. I got to take care of me because who else is going to? If I don't stand up for me, if I don't... <coughs> well, the truth of the matter is why that's different for us because we have one who's actually better at taking care of us than we are. As we trust in the Lord to lead us, even when it doesn't make sense, even when it seems like, well, that, that's, that's not going to get the result that I want. We trust in the one who knows better because he sees more and he actually loves you more than you even love yourself. He can be trusted. And so what we do is we say, so I'm going to let my heavenly father take care of my needs. I'm not going to, I'm. Not, let me back up and say it this way. If I'm operating in this perfectly, I don't wake up this morning to need something from you. Or even in my marriage relationship, I don't, I don't come to my wife in the morning saying, I'm dependent on you to see how my day's going to go. You know? Because I'm, she would probably say it too. That won't always be a good recipe because we don't always treat each other perfectly, right? But it's a frame of mind that, uh, sorry, I'm trying to go two different directions at the same time and that doesn't work. No, it does not. I, I, and I don't want to get on marriage because that's not what this is about. But I'll just throw this comment in. The purpose of marriage is not to make you happy. It's to make you holy. Marriage is a picture of the relationship between Jesus Christ and his church. That's why it's the bride and he's the bridegroom. 
Like that's what that picture is. Now, I'm not saying that you should never be happy because the purpose of marriage is also not to make you unhappy, but its primary purpose is to make you holy. We are, are in that sense better together than we are apart. It doesn't mean that we're bad if we're single. Uh, actually, in some cases, that might be better as God has called you to that. But the purpose of marriage is to actually make you more like Jesus. The two of you working together, I, I like to look at a triangle. If, I, if I'm here and my spouse is here and Jesus is here, if we're both pursuing him together, we're also growing closer to each other. That, that, that's, what, that's what that's about. A healthy marriage relationship will make you more like Jesus and being like Jesus comes with joy. So that's like a side thing, but it's not, it's not the purpose of it. Uh, because that's where we can get confused. And, and in any relationship that we might have, if we come to that relationship saying, I, I, I need for you to treat me right so I can be okay. Now, we would probably none of us ever say it that way. But if we think about some of our interactions, that might be in the back of our mind. It might be the way, we, I, I, I need you to do me right, to treat me right, to talk to me kind so that I can be okay. And the truth of the matter is, it should be true, and I'm not claiming that it is for me most or all of the time, but it should be true that you don't actually have the ability to hurt me because I'm so rooted in who I am. I'm so trusting in the one who loves me, who made me, that when you lash out and say something ugly to me, what happens in me is my heart breaks a little bit because you don't understand who you are. Because I see that you're not operating in a spirit of peace and unity the way that God intended you to be. But I recognize, I know you're still an image bearer. I know who made you. I know what he designed you to be. And I know if you were walking in that, you probably wouldn't have done that hurtful thing you just did to me. And so what happens is rather than me crying because I'm hurt, I might cry because I'm hurting for you. Because I want to actually be an agent of hope and help show you, here's what this, this can be like. Let's invite the Lord in and heal that thing. All right, I don't want this to turn into an into a interpersonal counseling session. Um, let's wrap this up. Unity requires us to prefer others in true humility. In other words, if we're going to go back to the text here to, to begin to wrap us up, we need to put others before ourselves and trust our Father to take care of our needs. He wants to use us to meet the needs of those around us, to shine as that light that we read about, to rise, to shine, to be that light in dark places. And dark places doesn't always just mean, you know, I'm going to go as, a, as an individual missionary to, you know, to some dark place in my town and witness to people. No, it also means when I'm in a conversation with someone and the kingdom of darkness is trying to rear its head, that's an opportunity to shine. It's an opportunity to set my, uh, well, how do we like to say it again? In our cultural context, I have rights. It's not right for you to treat me that way. And you know, that might technically be true. You know, if, if, I mean, if you get into, a, into a, a car accident because the person over there on the other side of the intersection 
you know, ran the red light. Well, it's true. They broke the rules. They, they didn't have the right to do that. They operated outside of the agreed social contract that we have. And so you can be right, but don't allow that to let you move into self-righteousness because that's not what's really going on. All right, I'm going to leave I'm going to leave that for now. Just to say unity requires us to prefer others in true humility. And I just want to wrap up by reading a few more of these verses. Uh, I'm going to drop down to verse 5 where he instructs us you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. So, as I've told you, we're kingdom citizens, and there are rights and privileges in that realm. But that's not something to cling to. We don't, just because we have an authority doesn't mean we always use it. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges, and he took the humble position of a slave or a servant. He was born a human being. He appeared in human form humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. The next time that you're in a situation where you feel like your rights and privileges have been trampled on and you're not getting what you deserve, remember this. Because if Jesus Christ operated the way that we often operated, he would have never went to the cross. That he had to lay down, give up his divine privileges, and took the humble position of a servant. This is what I'm talking about when I say we need to prefer others. Your heavenly Father will take care of you. Philippians 4 would tell us that he will give you everything you need with enough left over to give away. Let him take care of you, and you become his agent of hope and take care of those around you. Showing them the light when they're in darkness. Inviting the healing presence to come where they've had hurt and anxiety and disappointment. Prefer others. This is something that hopefully we can all agree on and something that we can unify around. And as we explore the next topics over the next few weeks, we'll continue to see how this is key as we look at more specific things in becoming a biblical community, we must be unified. We must keep what's important, important. The main thing, the main thing. And if we could boil it down to one word for ease of memory, it's love. Become the love that you've experienced from the Father. You're invited to become that love for somebody else. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your instruction. Father, we thank you for your call to unity. In a time where culturally we can so easily be divided and, and choose one side or the other of the issue, you provide a third way. You provide a kingdom way. Help us see that. Help us step into that. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.